Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. When I read Bible stories, um, a lot of times I will put myself in the story. Not, not as if I'm watching a movie, but as if it's through my point of view and I'm actually witnessing these things. And I think around Christmas time, I, I always wonder, what would it be like to be a shepherd in the field and be visited by an angel to say, hey, today your Messiah has been born? Like, what would that be like? And so as we move to communion, um, I just want you guys to see what would it be like to be with Jesus in those last days, right? At the Last Supper, uh, what Jesus told his friends when he gave them the bread and the wine is, hey, do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to have our own experience of remembrance. And one of the things that I know I pray for in my life all the time is that I would experience Jesus in a new way. And that's what I've been praying for this body these past couple of days, that we could experience Jesus in a new way. Uh, So this is going to be a little bit different, okay? Uh, I'm going to take you guys where Jesus is is about to be flogged, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes if you're comfortable with it, and keep them closed, um, and just meditate and work really hard to visualize what we're going to go through here. So just close your eyes, and what do you see? Right? Do you see big stone walls of a courtyard with just this huge crowd, or is it more open, but still there's this huge crowd around this small pillar in the center of this arena-looking area? And you, you're, you're a close friend of Jesus. You're one of his disciples. And you see these Roman soldiers that are carrying your friend, his hands bound, and they just... These large, looming soldiers tie him to that small pillar and just merciless loom over him. You see them rip his robe and expose his bare back, and you know what's about to happen, but this is your Messiah. This is the one who who you know is going to free you from Romans, going to free you from the oppression. So any minute, he's going to stand up, and he's going to defeat the Romans and have victory. But as you see, one of the Romans pulls out a a flagrum, which is a whip with multiple leather thongs, and in those thongs are are weaved shards of bone and metal that are not used to just injure the person, but to maim them. And you still think any minute Jesus is going to rise up, but very quickly you hear this lash echo through this area. And as, the, as that Roman soldier lashes at him, you just see immediately the red stripes across his back. And the sound just bellows, and the crowd cheers. But you hear your friend scream in agony. And you're confused. But over and over and over again, those soldiers just beat him, and the crowd cheers and jeering at him and making fun of him. It's just getting so bad that you can actually see some of his ribs. But as he gets lashed more and more, that he stops screaming because he's weak and tired. 
eventually they untie him and they, they drag him out of the area, just leaving a trail of blood. And you follow that trail. And then you see them take a giant piece of wood and place it on his back. And the only thing you can think of are just the, the sh- splinters of wood digging into those open wounds. And you want to help your friend, but you can't. People are laughing at him, spitting at him, and you just are praying for mercy until finally somebody comes and helps him carry that cross. And then you just make your way to Golgotha. This crowd is exuberant, and you just don't understand it. This is your friend, and he's done nothing wrong. But you get to this place. They place Jesus on the cross. And you see these Romans pull out these long metal spikes that are rusty and just imperfect in shape, and you cannot imagine that they're going to do what they're going to do. But they hammer that nail in there. You hear your friend again scream in agony. And every strike of the nail, you're wincing with Jesus. But as they nail his feet, he no longer screams, and you just think to yourself, is my friend dead already? So they erect Jesus. People are screaming at him, mocking him, telling him to come down because he's the king, that he's the Messiah. The Jewish leaders just are in the back looking at this this disdain, approval of what they are doing to your friend. What are you feeling? Are you angry? Are you sad? Are you hurt? But you see on the cross, your king, your Messiah, who has done all these miracles and helped all these people, but yet he is helpless. So as you sit there and stare at him, he locks eyes with you, your friend. And he's got just a a sadness in his eyes, but it's also a deep, deep love for you. And as you lock eyes with him, he says, you put me here. This is what you deserve, but I took your place. And I did this because I love you. You know, after a short while, your friend dies. And just the the crowd disperse, laughing making fun of what just happened, but you and your friends just sit there in awe. You carefully bring the cross down. You carefully take the nails out of his hand, being as gentle as you can because you don't want to hurt your friend any more than he's already been hurt, but he's already dead. You carefully clean his bloody body and you wrap him in just the whitest linen that you can. And you and your friends carry him down just a rocky, sandy path to a hole in a mountain. You take your friend and you delicately place him in this lonely tomb and just stare at him. You got his mother right by your side who's, who's weeping over her baby boy who's been killed. 
So you just gently lead her out. As you guys leave the tomb, just a giant stone is rolled over the opening that just crashes into the, the, the side of the mountain, and then it's silent. What do you do now? And the only thing you can do is you can go home. And as you get home, what would you be thinking? Be reflecting on the past three years of, with your friend, just these amazing miracles and things that he did. And that's all you can do is sit and reflect. If you were sitting in that same moment, man, you get to visualize a lot of the things that Jesus went through. And, and to be really honest with you, uh, visualization is one thing for me, but, but personally, the way that I process a lot of things is through sound. Uh, if you were to meet me up here on a normal day at church, you would probably see me with headphones either around my neck or in my ears, and that's because I fear silence. Uh, and so this was rough. <laughs> um, and I, I fear silence because I, I, I process stuff through the way that I hear things. And, and it's been a recent discovery for me of how much I lean on how on the sound around me. Uh, I, I lean on praise and worship music. I lean on podcasts in, during the day. And I, I run from silence. Uh, and, and I have two boys at home. And so that helps me at home because our home is rarely silent. Uh, I have two boys. My oldest, Noah, is in the room with us. And then my youngest, Micah, is one of the ones who contributes most to the sound. And so let me introduce you to a little bit of the sound that comes around my house around this time of year. So about two weeks ago, we do our bedtime routine, uh, and Catherine and I will rotate on who's in which room as we listen to a song and as we lay the boys down and get them ready for sleep. And so it was my turn in, in Micah's room. And as I'm, as I'm taking Micah to his room, Micah's asking me, is tomorrow Easter? Is tomorrow Easter? Is tomorrow Easter? And I'm like, no, buddy, Easter's still about two weeks away. It's not Easter yet. And then he starts to cry. And he's like, but Easter is my favorite. And in my mind, the, way, the place that I go is a place of pride. I start to think, man, we have discipled him so well, right? My son's favorite holiday is Easter. I'm about to walk out of this room, meet Catherine in the kitchen. We will share the highest of high fives because my son's favorite holiday is Easter, uh, and so I'm like, oh, buddy, I'm glad you love Easter. And then the truth comes out. And he just says, I just want a chocolate bunny. And, and, uh, and then all my hopes and dreams were dashed. Because <laughs> he doesn't want his savior. He wants a chocolate bunny. And in my mind, we've been watching VeggieTales, so all my 90s kids, right? The song starts coming into your head. The bunny, the bunny. Oh, I want the bunny, right? Like, this is what I'm like, this is how I've discipled my son. I, I need to probably get replaced. Sorry, Kyle. Um, and so as, as we start to navigate this space with Micah, it, it realizes that it, a realization comes to me, right? These noises that surround Easter, the noises that surround Easter, and that there's something greater than the bunny that, that Micah actually desires, but these are the noises that are clogging his mind when it comes to Easter, are the noises of the marketing. But for me, the noises of Easter sound a lot like this. On Sunday, 
the noise of waving palm branches and people shouting Hosanna. And then on Monday, the single, or on Monday, the, the crash of the tables as Jesus clears the church or clears the synagogue of money changers. On Tuesday, the, the clink of the single coin in the coffer as the widow gives her last coin and Jesus says she gave more than anybody else. And on Wednesday, the whispers of the Sanhedrin as they finally had enough and they're plotting for a way to kill Jesus. And then on Thursday, one of my favorite days, the pouring of the water over the feet as Jesus humbly washes his disciples' feet. And this is where we get to today. Today, I think most of us would hear the clanging of the nails and the hammer as he's hammered to the cross. And for me, about a year ago, I would be with you. About a year ago, those were the sounds that, that culminated in the Passion Week. But about a year ago, as we all started going into quarantine, I started reading through the Bible chronologically. And as I got to this point in Scripture, one of the sounds shifted for me. It shifted away from the, the hammer and the nails and to the voices at the trial. And if you have your Bibles with me, open up your Bibles to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verses 15 through 16. This is what replaced the hammer and the nails for me. Starting in verse 15, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. And so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. And when I read this, it broke my heart. This is the sound that I identify now with Good Friday. The rejection of God as king by his people that he's come to save. And the thing that I started to realize as I was reading through scripture throughout the, throughout the year, and as I was going through it chronologically, this is not the first time they've said this, but this is an echo to the past. It reverberates from when he first put Adam and Eve in the garden. So just bear with me as we trace it backwards. We're gonna trace it backwards all the way to that one main point. If you, have your, if you have your Bibles, we're going to 1 Samuel 8, and we're looking at verses 4 through 8. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said this, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. And do you hear this? This is our story. It goes all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis 3, there they finally voiced it. And in John, they came to a place where they voiced it in front of their creator, in front of their king who loved them. But it started in Genesis 3 and verses 5 and 6. 
or we believed a lie. And in Genesis 3, verses 5 and 6, we see this. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate it. And she gave some also to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And this is where our rebellion began. Where we looked at our king and creator of the universe. And we said, I don't want you to be king over me. I want to be my own king. We have no king but Caesar. The weight of those words haunts me. The weight of those words haunts me because of the people who said it. These were the religious leaders who were looking to Pilate, the person who was oppressing them, who, was, who had them under his thumb, who was making them pay ridiculous taxes, and they had their king of the universe in front of them who had come to rescue them. And they looked him in the eyes and they said, I don't want you to rule over me. I want to rule over myself. I want my own oppression and tyranny. And these were the people who were supposed to know God's word. And yet they rejected him as king. If I'm being honest, they're the church folk. They're us. In this room, it's Good Friday. You probably aren't here unless you come to church pretty regularly. And yet, this echo doesn't stay in our past, but it reverberates into our present right now. You see, it resounds here. It resounds here in the way that we cheapen the cross. It resounds here in the way that we cheapen our Savior. It resounds here in the way that we will, in the same breath, say Jesus and tacos. Or you post on your Instagram or Facebook for us older folk. But you post on your Instagram, your Bible, your journal, your coffee mug full of coffee. And on that coffee mug, it says Jesus and coffee. as though they are the same. And if we're really honest with ourselves, those two things might give, give us the same amount of joy and contentment. Because we don't understand the cost. Because we have a low view of who Jesus is. He's not Jesus our Lord, it's Jesus and this brown bean juice that makes me feel good. They're the same therapeutic remedy for me. I look to Jesus to make me feel good, and I drink this juice to make me feel good. And this should not be so, my friends, because he is Jesus, our Lord. Or you're serving Caesar and not your Savior. 
as I look at this and we cheapen the cross, it, it, it makes us, the reason why we cheapen the cross is because it helps us cheapen other places in our lives. It helps us live in a compartmentalized way. And so it's, it's kind of saying, hey, if I can say Jesus and coffee, and these two things give me about the same amount of joy and the same amount of contentment and the same amount of therapy, then it's easy for me to be able to trace a character from Captain or from Winter Soldier and Falcon to Age of Ultron, but also say, you know what, I'm too busy to read my Bible. It enables me to interpret the world that I live in through Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Fox News, and CNN, and not this. It helps me live comfortably in a way where I'm more concerned about the stain on my 10-foot-high privacy fence than the stain on the soul of the person who lives on the other side of it. This ought not be so. It allows me to live in a way where I can look at your personal convictions about mass and say, crucify that idea. And yet we're supposed to be brothers in Christ. It ought not be so. If we start to live where we have these different compartmentalized, compartmentalized spaces in our life, where we can say, Lord, you're, you're God over here, and you're God in public, and you're God on my Instagram feed, where I can post a, a nice little verse and a nice little picture, and I can get a lot of likes, and I can get people to think that I'm really spiritual, where I can go to all the Bible studies, and I can check all the boxes. That means I meet membership, but I don't ever actually give you, Lord, over the way I love my neighbor. My friend, you serve Caesar. You do not serve your Savior. And the reason why I'm compelled to this is because I love you enough to tell you Serving the Caesar of yourself is serving a tyrant that wants to kill you. But you have a king who wants to die for you, to set you free. This is not a new idea. Paul writes to the Corinthians. He writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, the people in Corinth are living in a way that would just, however they want, they would indulge whatever desire they want. They would say they would follow Jesus and they would live in just immorality. And Paul writes to them and he says this, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. This is what Jesus says when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he tells them in Mark 12, 30 through 31, the greatest commandment is this, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That you would love him with every part of your life. And when he's asked this, he quoted the Shema, the traditional Jewish prayer that's found in Deuteronomy 6. This is not a new idea. 
It's what he's called us to from the beginning. And my friends, I want you to see where you are serving Caesar and not your Savior. If he doesn't have all of you, he doesn't have any of you. And the call is this. That you would lay down your life and follow the one who laid down his life for you. You see, the cost that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 6 has nothing to do with how great your sin is. And don't be confused, it is great. It has nothing to do with how much Jesus suffered. And, and don't be confused, he suffered tremendously. The price that you were bought with has everything to do with the one who was on that cross. And if it's Jesus and coffee, it makes it easier for me to hide. But if it is Jesus, our Lord, the Messiah, and he demands all of who you are, my son Micah, when I laid him down, he wanted a chocolate bunny. But that chocolate bunny holds no life for him. What he needs is a risen Savior who loves him. Who, as he says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. And so honor God with your body, friends. Repent of where you have compartmentalized him and minimized him so that you can indulge your own selfish desires. I tell you this because my son is in the room. And with all that I am, I know that life is not in compartmentalization, but is in full devotion because I've seen the hurt that's come from compartmentalization. And brothers, sisters, it's not worth it. Honor God with your body. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.